Welcome to the Firearms Trainers Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I'm your host, Rob Beckman. Today, we'll be talking about some of the psychology behind violent attacks. We bring you this podcast to support the industry, the Second Amendment, and most importantly, every firearm instructor in America that dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. This episode is also brought to you by our friends at the FTA, the Firearms Trainers Association. Head on over to their website at ftaprotect.com to learn more about their instructor coverage they offer and their competitive pricing. Receive a special 10% off on your policy by entering promo code FTP10 at checkout. This episode is brought to you by Mantis X. The Mantis X is a must-have for any serious firearm instructor. The Mantis X is a high-tech, lightweight, precision sensor that attaches to a gun, analyzes a shooter's movement patterns, and displays all the information in real time on a smartphone or tablet. The Mantis X gives instructors objective, data-driven feedback on things that you and I can't see so that you can coach your students more effectively. Get 10% off with promo code FTP10 at mantisx.com. Today, we are honored to be joined by Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman. Welcome, Dave. How are things going for you today? Hello, Rob. Proud to be on board. Things, well, you know, right now we're in a couple weeks into the coronavirus quarantine. Uh, pretty crazy days and uh, crazy times and uh and I'm, I'm taking the opportunity to do as many podcasts as I can. I'm usually in four or five, sometimes six cities a week. But I want to tell you something up front, Rob. Um, the whole podcast revolution has broken down the barriers. I've been on 60 Minutes in 2020 and Larry King and, and every, every show you can imagine. And they don't add up to a hill of beans. You, you got five minutes. You can't dig into nothing. And, and, and the, the podcast has broken down the barriers. Uh, I I'd always try to just compliment the host and those who are listening. You're seeking deeper knowledge. It's a, it's an opportunity to really dig in deep in our area of interest and concern. And uh, and so we're so glad to be on board with you. And my my hats off to you and all the people out there listening and crafting their skills and their profession. Well, we really appreciate you being on because it's guests like you that give our listeners a little bit different perspective. Like you said, we can dig into topics a little bit differently than what the standard news, and we can definitely expand upon what they come out of their certification classes with, because we're talking about real life. We're talking about how, how do they go along and sharpen that blade and make it a little bit more sharper as an instructor so they can help their instruct their students be the best students they can be. And let me tell you something about firearms trainers up front. Um, been, I've been, I retired from the RNA 23 years ago. And it, it must have been like in, in that first six months of doing that, I was sitting down with a, a, a police trainer, firearms trainer in California. And he said, I am the coach. In game, we lose, people die. He said, who wants to be the coach? You don't get paid anymore, you know. Uh, and if this team has a losing season, they fire the coach. If they have a winning season, a quarterback gets a credit. Who wants to be the coach? Somebody loves a game. Somebody loves the players and somebody wants to make a difference. And, and that's what we're talking about here. You know, you're familiar with Hujitsu, the martial art of the mm -hmm. world. We talk about them as a sensei. And I think the word sensei or coach is just a very appropriate word to use. Remember, we're talking about a game when we lose, people die. And, and ultimately, if we have a losing season, we lose our very way of life. And this is the, the most important dynamic of all. And when we talk about training, if I can just dive in a little bit, I um. I tell the story of Officer Greg Stevens, May of 2015, and draw the Prophet Muhammad Art Festival outside of Dallas, Texas. In the eyes of Islam, to draw the Prophet is a terrible crime. 
I'm afraid a drug bad guys in it did. So he's, he's, he's uh, Officer Greg Stevens. He'd been on uh, on duty 37 years. He was never wanted to do anything but be a street cop. He uh, he was on a detail, so he was being paid by the city to provide security on the south entrance. And two art critics with AK-47s and body armor screeched to a halt. Now, Greg, he wasn't in his vehicle. He didn't have his head down in his cell phone. He was doing his job. He was paying attention to what was going on. He'll, he'll tell you, if I'd have been in my vehicle, I'd be dead. If I'd have been looking on my cell phone, I'd been dead. And uh, But he was standing there, and uh, 37 years on, 59 years old at the time. A black car screeches up, uh, out of state plates, uh, alarm bells are ringing, uh, screeches to a halt, both doors pop open, and he's already in position one. Already got a good firm grip on his holster. You know, we do a lot of training. We hand off the gun, or the gun's out. Let's do a few drills. We start with the hand on the gun because I will show you video after video where the cop started the incident with a good firm grip on his gun. That should be mm -hmm. like a first instinct. You know, no, no blood, no foul. You don't need it. like yep. mm -hmm. and, and boom, he's in position one. And uh, the driver and the, uh, the passenger roll out simultaneously. Uh, the driver rolls out and shoots at an unarmed security guard. Uh, I tell people, you cannot call unarmed people security. There's legal liability associated with that word. Call them safety. Call them Walmart greeter. Call them run like heck when the man with the gun shows up. But <laughs> don't put somebody in a uniform and says, kill me first, and don't give them the tools to do the job. You'll be sued. You'll be successfully sued. Fortunately, the, he acted as a distraction. He told Officer Greg Stevens, my only purpose in life is be your decoy. And the driver rolls out and shoots the armed security guard once as he's running away. The passenger rolls out at the same time. And Greg Stevens said, I saw his right foot step out. I saw the barrel of the AK-47 come up around. He drew and fired from about 40 feet away. He said, I cannot tell you fired first. I'll tell you fired best. And from a range of about 40 feet, he engaged in a gunfight with two people with rifles. Over 30 rounds of rifle fire be fired at him. They won't hit once. He's hitting with virtually every shot fired. And in long story short, he puts them both down. Mm -hmm. Dead or undead. Uh, one of the greatest examples of marksmanship and courage in American history. Now, Greg yep. Stevens wasn't a SWAT dog and he wasn't a competitive shooter, but his department had open range about once a month. And for 37 years, as often as he could, he was on the range when it was open, ammo was available. I go to the range your own time, then not even paying you. Why, why do you go to the range? Because I'm a Texas cop. I live on dirt. Ammo's expensive. And the range that's open, the ammo is free. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, should, that should be a clarion call that draws us all in. And for 37 years, on a, on almost monthly basis, Officer Greg Stevens made a small deposit in a savings account. In May of 2015, it a major, major withdrawal. Mm -hmm. I tell people, how's your saving account look? Are you pissing your time away? Are you, are you wasting your time? Are you pissing your money away? Are you preparing for your moment of truth? And uh, I tell them, you, you got to have a life outside this job. It's a very pure and beautiful thing when your hobby reinforces your survival skills. And this brings me to, to a kind of a history heritage type thing that I think is really valuable. I came in the Army in 1974. My dad was a cop. And every department had a pistol team. In the 1970s, that was the last of the World War II veterans. The World War II vets in the 70s, they were still our chiefs and our sheriffs, our sergeants and our captains. And here's what those World War II vets knew. We'll grow old and, and we'll grow fat, but we can still be one hell of a shot. Mm -hmm. 
and they honored the rolling poly little guy on the pistol team. They didn't have SWAT teams back then, but they honored a pistol team. And they honored one thing above all else, marksmanship. That's what World War II taught that generation. And that's what we need to do. And I, I tell all my sheriffs, I, I train this national sheriff, state sheriffs. I train a lot of uh, a lot of state chiefs association. I said, roll your next pay raise into a marksmanship bonus. LAPD still has a bonus for a qualifying expert. Adds up around $300 a year. Back in the 50s, that was a lot of money. Still a lot of money. And they roll that next pay raise into in a, in a marksmanship bonus. Mm-hmm. And have the range open once or twice an open range with ammo available and watch them come, watch them come and, and, and craft that marksmanship and get a nation of Greg Stevens out there that have prepared for a lifetime for that moment of truth. He'd never fired his weapon in a life and death event before that, but he prepared for a lifetime for that one moment. And that's what we want to yep. see that mindset, that, that idea. That 30 seconds. He, he had the skills he needed. Amen. 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 And that's what he told it. He said, I told the court, he said, Officer Stevens, what you do to them? As he talked about the incident court, he said, my training kicked in. And he's also, uh, um, he, he says at the end of this prison, he says, you know, I'm a man of God. And I felt like God put his hand on my shoulder that day and said, I'll take care of you, but you got to take care of them. Now that makes hair stand up in my arms. Mm-hmm. That's what it's all about. Yep. You know, just, just just don't worry about anything. Don't worry about what the bad guy's doing. Worry about what you're doing. Only one thing in the universe you can control, front sight and trigger press. You know, that's all there is in the universe. <laughs> and by the way, he said he had a sight picture with every shot. It wasn't a perfect sight picture, but it was a good sight picture with every shot, which is incredibly rare. Most people do not have sight pictures, and that's just fine. Uh, but he's a, he's a remarkable human being. He's a product of training, and he'll be the first one to tell you. Yeah. Well, hey, Dave, I've got a question. Um sure. When it comes along to those types of things, because, you know, when, when we talk about the psychology and the physiology behind it, there's a lot of things that no matter if you're the Greg Stevens or if you're SEAL Team 6 or if you're the armed civ- civilian, the same things are going to happen to you no matter what. You know, what, what are some of those things? I've, I've read, read both your books. So I, you know, I know the answer to it, but I'll let you tell our listeners to it. <laughs> well, you, you know, and again, I'm glad you mentioned my, my book on killing is Marine Corps Commandant's required reading, half a million copies sold in English language, eight other languages. Uh, uh, and the truth is that uh, it's, it's academic. Uh, it's a great book. But it, the, the, the book I would encourage everybody to home right in on is, is on combat. Also, Marine Corps Commandant's required reading list, issued last I heard in the DEA Academy, the Marshals Academy, translated into five languages. And that's where we talk about, you know, for those who fully prepare themselves, Killing is just not that big a deal. There's no wrong way to respond to killing. Many ways people all respond. I wrote the first book, Think of the Heart of Combat, was the act of killing. And academically, it's in, but I was wrong. The heart of combat are the things that nobody talks about, like auditory exclusion. How could we have had 500 stinking years of gunpowder combat and not let people know the shots will be muted? How, how could this be happening? You know, we, we, I call this a warrior renaissance. We're in the middle of an explosion of knowledge. We, we've learned more in the last, since, we've learned more since World War II uh, and than the previous 5,000 years put together. And, uh, and the fact that the shots get muted are terribly important. And I tell, a lot of hunters will tell you, you know, you drop that deer and you don't hear the shot and your ears don't ring. But you are still getting hearing loss. Mm-hmm. The shutout is in the nerve. The ear is still being hammered. 
wear hearing protection when you hunt or be a deaf old geezer like me that's a pain in the butt, right? So exactly. <laughs> the shots get muted. But there's some exceptions to this. If you're compass surprised in an ambush, boom, 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 shots overwhelming. You start shooting back, and the shots get muted. It appears that the body will focus intensely on the sense it needs most for survival. When you start shooting back, the eyes dial in, the ears dial out, and you've got this tremendous, God-given, natural dynamic being able to focus intensely on the, on the target. Uh, there is uh, another dynamic in which you still focus on the target. The shots are still muted. But I, I, I call the one the charging lion. You know, you're, you've got a heat-seeking missile, tunnel vision, you're focused on it. There's another one that's like the Wolfpack model. They have auditory exclusion too, but they've got a broad awareness. You know, the charge of lion doesn't have to worry about anything on the planet except his, his prey. The wolf pack is a team. And knowing where other wolves are, knowing where everybody's moving, and knowing what we're doing is terribly important. Both responses are, are good and, and normal. Now, among the most elite people, I think we start seeing that wolf pack response with the situational awareness in the heat of battle. But both are experiencing auditory exclusion. The next most common thing is tunnel vision. People talk about looking through a toilet paper tube. And, you know, I really think it's important to understand that these things are all happening to the bad guy, too. Mm -hmm. Now, when we do our force-on-force -force engagements, and I believe some form of reality-based training is absolutely essential for everybody's personal development. Uh, airsoft, paintball, of course, the gold standard is paint bullet type, simulation type, force some force engagements, but it's, it's not kill or be killed, but it's hurt or be hurt. And I, and I, I believe that's, that's a, a, a major revolution, which we, we've, we've got to push that envelope. Uh, many states say you're negligent to give somebody a firearm and not give them this force some force engagements, reality-based training. We'll give you a case study of that later on if you're interested in how it paid off. But so the, the role players on these, on these reality-based training, this, these when the when the student does it the first time, it's not kill or be killed, but it's hurt or be hurt. Mm -hmm. Stimulus response to it. Yep. Very often, their body treats it like it's real. And what these role players playing the bad guy have found out, many times they can do a sidestep and come right off their radar screen. If you have tunnel vision, lateral movement will take you right off their radar screen. And so, I, I, you know, you and I are both familiar with Hujitsu, the martial art of the firearm. After two years of work, I, I got my black belt. And, uh, and, uh, and when I get a chance to teach, I tell people, I think every draw should have a sidestep built into it. The not sidestep when you draw should be the exception. Uh, and we do a lot of that in Hujitsu, sidestep and draw. And, uh, and, and at, at, at least you're a moving target. At best, you could have come right off the bad guy's radar screen. To me, tactically speaking, this is one of the greatest understandings. General Patton said, one guy holds him by the nose, the other one kicks him in the ass. <laughs> and and, and if, if you understand tunnel vision, you understand how at this, if there's just two of you, one of you brings fire, the other one maneuvers. That, 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 that's what Patton's talking about. This fixation on the one that's shooting at you and this ability to maneuver. Uh, you know, I'm in airports all the time. Uh, I don't have a gun with me, you know, and even when I pick up my bags, I'm not at home. I don't have a gun. I always have a knife. But I've, I've often thought, what do we do? You and I, you know, we're in the airport. We're going to get our bags and 
don't have a gun on. She came off the plane. And here's this guy like we had in Fort Lauderdale, standing up screaming all Akbar with a with a with a rifle gunning everybody down. I, I've always thought I wear a vest with me. I'm gonna swing that vest and charge him and throw the vest at him, sidestep, and charge him and throw my cell phone and sidestep and then tackle him. Because every time you throw something at this guy, you're distracting him, you're creating his tunnel vision. And you can sidestep off and then charge. And so, you know, just understand these these dynamics are occurring almost everybody. Uh, and and then as we get a little further down, we have the slow motion time. I have had hundreds of people tell me they can see the bullet in combat. And it absolutely blows their mind. You know, I, I, I've often thought that world-class athletes are tapping into some of this stuff. For the rest of us, it will only occur in a life and death event. So I, I'm on a, a prop plane in Casper, Wyoming, going to Salt Lake City. A little propeller plane, you know, uh, and, and uh, there's two seats down one side, one seat down the other side. I'm my little extra window seat, right? One of the biggest guys on the planet comes down the aisle. I said, dear Lord, don't, don't let him sit with me. And he did. I'm over here, you know, scrunched up against the window. And I look at him. And I said, yeah, you're a pretty healthy guy. I said, what do you do? He said, oh, I'm on the national sports team. I said, well, what's your sport? He said, oh, I wrestle. I said, oh, you've been to the Olympics? Yeah, I, I won the gold last year. Who was Roland Gardner? Is a guy that beat the Russian never been beaten. Roland Gardner. And so he, he said, what a great guy. You know, they said, oh, what do you do? I said, well, you know, I, I train military and law enforcement. I got talking to him about slow motion time and, and, and tunnel vision and sensory focusing and auditory exclusion. And he gets real excited. He said, that's what happens to me in a match. He says, he says, you know, I, I, that, that the crowd doesn't even exist. The sounds don't exist. But every word my coach hears me, I say that the creak of the mat as he shifts his weight. He says, I'm doing an underhook. I don't know what an underhook is. He said, all there is in the universe, totally sensory focusing of my arm as it comes down there. Slow motion time, all those stuff are there. So, so this idea of seeing the bullets in combat, it's not like the matrix where it crawls past, you know. But, but it's kind of like... Uh, Airsoft and paintball. We've all had experiences with airsoft and paintball where we can kind of track the bullet with our eyes, and that's what it's like. And it blows people's minds, and it's so important we warn about that. And then we 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 have kind of a, a couple of things that work together. I think are pretty important. Um, we have irrational, distracting thoughts that often come out of nowhere. And and uh, I'll give you an example though. A cop in uh, Arkansas pulls up to a stoplight in the left lane, stops at a red light. The car in the right lane pulls up next to him. And he looks through the his passenger side window. And leaning out the driver's side window, the car next to him, is a gangbanger who shoots him in the head. He said, I saw the bullet hit the passenger side windshield. I saw the glass fly. The bullet lodged in his, uh, hit his left cheekbone. And lodged in his uh, in his right or in his right cheekbone, and traveled across and lodged in his left cheekbone, and he dropped. And he said, "I had this vision of my little three-year-old boy in his pajamas." And I thought, "My little boy's daddy is not going to die like this." So he drew his weapon and he popped up and killed the most surprised gangbanger on the planet. It was a gang initiation killer cop. Uh, he, he, he shot him, but he wasn't content. He was going to get out and finish the cop off. And that was the last thing he ever did. But again, this distracting thought was in some ways motivational. 
Jennifer Volford, uh, uh, great story on on force on force engagements. She she went into a garage with three armed home invaders, and in the following gunfight, she killed two of them. Uh, she was shot ten times, seven bullets punched through her body, three bullets by body armor equipment. Uh, shot seven bullets punched through her body, blazing gunfight, kills two out of three. The other one wisely runs. An incredible dynamic of of, uh, of force on force engagements, making it possible to take those hits and drive on. And she said, I thought to myself, you bastards, I'm getting married and you can't stop me. I'm not the craziest thing to think. <laughs> and yet, when you look at it, it's still kind of motivational. One, one, they're not always like that. One of them, guy said, a, a, a perp shoved a gun on my face. And my very first thought was, whoa, it shows my partner's gun. How do you like that? <laughs> you know, hard to make much out of that. But at one level, he said, I know that gun. Mm -hmm. I'm not intimidated by that gun. I'm not intimidated by you. So most of those those distracting thoughts, in many cases, we look back at them, we find they've got some, some survival value. But there's two important things that we need to talk about. One is uh, is memory gaps, blackouts. Now, when I, when I talk about how bad the situation is, uh, crime rates completely misrepresent the situation. Medical technology holds down the murder rate. One medical expert says tourniquets alone in the last decade have probably cut the murder rate in half. Cop slaps on a tourniquet, we've prevented a murder. 20 to 30 people a day slap on a tourniquet, prevent a murder. In between all the EMS and cops and everybody else, mm -hmm. 20 to 30 a day slap on a tourniquet, we cut the murder rate in half. And, uh, and, and the best way to measure the problem for cops is what I call the year-over-year -year increase in cops murdered. Every year we have better tactics, better training, better body armor, better, better medical technology keeping us alive. The only good measure of the problem is the year-over-year -year increase in cops murdered. And 2016 was the single worst year-over-year -year increase in cops murdered in the history of our nation. We we had five cops murdered in uh, Dallas in one incident, four cops murdered in Baton Rouge in one incident. In every place you see a multiple homicide of cops, I show you many where they tried and failed. It's not easy to kill a bunch of cops. But we also had a bad guy come to the cop's house, knowing the cop wasn't there, to murder their family. That's, that's We later wrote a book called War on Cops. And she's nailed it. And the media misrepresentation of our police, uh, the media has the blood of those five cops in Dallas and four cops in Baton Rouge on their hands. And, uh, and you got to realize that they're bad guys that will come to the house. And mm -hmm. uh, mama bear protecting her cubs can be one of the most dangerous things on the planet. Yeah. The cop's wife killed this guy. And she told me, she said, I was messed up. And she said, you know what's eating me alive? She said, I heard the audio recording of my 911 call. And to this day, I have no memory of making that call. It was eating our life. She wow. said, then somebody, then somebody gave me a book. They gave me a copy of On Combat and said, see, it's in the book. Poof, she was fine. She was fine. Mm -hmm. You know, psychologists call it normalizing. But that's too trivial a term for something so powerful. She's got this memory gap. I mean, how many in your lifetime? You could, how many times do we got like gaps in our memory, inexplainable, and 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 then to know that it's normal, and, and so these memory gaps about half of all some research say upwards of half of all cops have little gaps in the memory after a couple of nights sleep. Some of this stuff comes back. Some will never come back. But we got memory gaps and memory distortions, and about around one out of five 
will just flat remember something that did not happen. False memories. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Memory distortions, false memories. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, it was early in the war. One of our tier one spec ops medics came up to me at his first combat tour and said, why do the wounded hallucinate so much? They just, they just see things and hear things and remember things that didn't happen when they were wounded. And, and so under stress, we envision possibilities. More envision possibilities can become reality. So uh, it, it, this, this cop's wife was able to find out, you know, that that was normal, but it messed her up for a while. And, and this medic couldn't understand why these people all had these hallucinations. Remember things that mm-hmm. didn't happen. So it's, it's really important to fill in the gaps afterwards. The state of Texas has passed the law that the cop has the right to see every video before he makes his statement. And it's common sense anywhere. It's law in Texas. You, you make a statement, you got memory gaps, you got memory distortions. The world is going to hold that cop accountable for that video. It's only fair that she, he could see that video before he or she makes a statement. Otherwise, you got memory gaps, memory distortions. You're going you're gonna to end up eating that stuff in court, and it'll eat you alive. Anybody who has done any research on the psychology part of it, knows how under you know a stressful situation all those reactions come in and that's where as an instructor i always try to go along and make sure my students understand that because yeah they might be coming there for a ccw class or come there for an advanced class something along those lines but if they don't realize just what you were talking about dave that it's normal to yeah. have you know tunnel vision to have auditory exclusion to go along have memory lapses and yeah. not to go along and make those statements for 48 to 72 hours so that you can watch video or give give your brain chance to basically yeah. normalize just what's gone on i mean we haven't we don't go through and get into violent confrontations all the time so we've got to go along and realize hey this is going to take a little bit of time for my mind to process it that's and that, yeah. that's great great advice yeah, you know, I, I speak at the NRA every year. I speak all three days. I'm one of their one of their most popular breakout sessions at the NRA, and and of course we train hujits, civilians and cops, and and I tell them we want you to survive physically, emotionally, spiritually, and legally, and uh, and cops after that, and most big city cops, they've got their union rep there within minutes, and they say we're not going to say anything until our lawyer gets here. And, and this trained seasoned cops said, I, I want to say they can tell my lawyers here. And, and, and if, if, if that's true for cops, how much more so should it be for individual citizens? This is not a time to be shooting your mouth off. This is a time to say I was in fear for my life. You know, uh, my weapon's there, his weapon's there, and, and I want to talk to my attorney. Yep. And, and this is not the time to be shooting your mouth off, whether cop or anybody else. And, and realize the reason you don't want to is exactly what you're talking about, because if you make a statement that's that ends up being false because yeah. you didn't remember something, yeah. they're going to hold it against you. Yes. And th- those those are all things that we as legally armed citizens have got to keep that in mind. Yeah, and educate our students about it. I mean, this this isn't rocket science stuff. You know, this is stuff that's been known for like you know twenty thirty years, but people haven't started applying it to the you know armed citizen to make them aware of it. Yes. And, and all of this out of my book on combat, page 55, you know, just a one page bullet list of slow motion time, auditory exclusion. And, and that, 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 that should be used by everybody. And you have my permission to use it. Run with it. You know, it's nice when they add my name to it, but it doesn't matter. I got it from somebody else. I give them credit. 
uh, uh, let people know these things are happening. But if you didn't know these things were happening, uh, what happens in a, in a life and death event, in a gunfight, would meet every definition of a psychotic episode. Slow motion time, tunnel vision, auditory exclusion, memory lapse, memory distortions. That meets every definition of a psychotic episode. And if you didn't, if those just so, it's bad enough somebody's trying to kill you, those things by themselves would, would scare the daylights out of you. Mm -hmm. But if you know they're coming, then they don't blindside you. The young California Highway Patrol officer, young CHP officer, he and his partner in traffic stop, bad guy murders his partner. He kills a bad guy. Apply CPR on his dead partner. Don't get a whole lot more traumatic than that. He said, Dave, you cannot imagine how important it was in the heat of the battle to know that it was normal for my shots to be muted. He said, tunnel vision, like looking through a soda straw. He said, slow motion time. Uh, and, and one of the things that we didn't mention is uh, autopilot, holstering on holstering without conscious thought. It kind mm -hmm. of blows people's minds. Uh, you know, you don't rise to the challenge to sink the level of your training. You know, back in the days when they'd fire six shots at a revolver on the range and put the brass in their hand, throw the brass in a brass barrel, reload and keep going, we'd have people on life and death events for saving their brass without even thinking about it. You know, you don't rise to the challenges, sink to the level of your training. So he said, uh, you know, holstering, unholstering without conscious thought, uh, uh, tunnel vision. And, and then during the debriefing, and, and we do these debriefings for many reasons. One of them is to fill in the memory gaps and sort out the memory distortions. He said, during the debriefing, people talked about things that I didn't remember. And I was okay with that. And there were one or two things that he remembered that everybody there said, no, man, that didn't happen. He said, if I didn't know those memory distortions could happen, I would have spent the rest of my life thinking they all conspired to lie to me <laughs> about some goofy little aspect of what happened. Yep. There's other dynamics going on too. And, and I want to explain it to your, your audience. Uh, um, we want to talk about aftermath very quickly, but let's spend a minute talking about, uh, um, you, you can think of your body fighting into two parts. We all talk about fight or flight. Now the end of fight or flight is rest and digest. So fight or flight is sympathetic nervous system. Rest and digest is parasympathetic nervous system. And we tell people, think about your body like a military unit. The sympathetic nervous system, fight or flight, those guys are front lines with a rifle. Parasympathetic medicine, they're the, the me mechanics and the cooks and the clerks doing all the maintenance jobs. When you're asleep at night, your unit's on stand down, right? You're all in maintenance mode. You wake up in the morning, you get what we call homeostasis. Got some guys in the front lines with a rifle. And he got some folks doing the maintenance job. But then you go to combat and, and drop your pencil, drop your wrench, drop your spoon, get a rifle, get in the front lines. And so what that means is rest and digest things are just completely done away with. And, and that includes loss of bowel and bladder control. Mm -hmm. one, out, one out of five of the veterans of intense combat in World War II, 20% of the veterans of intense combat in World War II would admit they messed themselves in one time or another. About half would admit that they wet themselves at one time or another. One old World War II vet told me, hell, all that proves is 80% were damn liars. You know? <laughs> we don't know what percent were liars. But loss of bowel and bladder control is, is normal. Mm -hmm. Total motivation of, of resources to survival. Dry mouth. You see food, you salivate. The opposite of salivation is dry mouth. And one of the responses to stress very often is dry mouth. 
Uh, and not everybody loses bowel and bladder control in these days due to our good training and stress inoculation, but it does happen. One old cop said, if it ever happens to you, just uh, bag it and and, uh, and and claim it for evidence. You know, you see the court, will you sincerely mm-hmm. fear for your life? Well, exhibit A, right? <laughs> so, uh, uh, but, and, and afterwards, there can be nausea. And, and, and vomiting is not unheard of. It's fairly common to have this sense of nausea. But mm-hmm. the body is up here in fight or flight. Then it backlashes in the opposite direction. And food, you know, just, just there's this time when you just want to gorge yourself. And there's, rest, there's, there's fight or flight. And the opposite side is sometimes called feed and breed. Feed and breed. Because there can be a powerful drive, cops, EMS, fire, Hunters, it, they find that after this incredibly intense experience, there can be afterwards some very intense sex. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, if it doesn't happen, nothing wrong. If it does happen, there's nothing wrong. But it scares people. Here I'm in this life and death event, and I'm responding this way. You got fight or flight, and then feed and breed. Mm-hmm. And, and those are normal backlash dynamics as the body whipsaws back and forth between these two dynamics. And, uh, and, and you go from fight or flight to feed and breed food and, 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 and sex. And, and it's a normal life and death response. Well, that's, and, that's, a, that's some good information there, uh, Dave. Like, yeah, you know, you know our, our listeners definitely, you know, need, you know, I think need to realize, and I think very, as we said before, this is great information. Pass on to our students so they kind of understand uh, what's going on. We'll have to be, you know, wrapping things up. Uh, but got a couple of last questions for you. Shoot. What books are you reading these days? Well, you know, I, I just read a book. I just reread a book. And it says on the cover, best book I've read in 30 years. And it's uh, Secrets of Mental Marksmanship. Uh, and uh, uh, Secrets of Mental Marksmanship by Linda Miller and Keith Cunningham. They're both world championship shooters and coaches. They're hunters and hunting guides. They're law enforcement trainers. He's a combat vet. They're they're military trainers. And one of the things we've discovered in all these years of combat is the the fact that we can take performance psychology, sports psychology, and apply it to life and death event. After World War II, prior to this war, there was a ban on sports psychology on the battlefield. A lot of people said, ah, oh, that sports stuff goes out the window. Somebody's trying to kill you. We didn't know if it worked. Well, now in 19 years of war, we can tell you it works. If it works in the Olympics, it works in the Super Bowl, it works when somebody's trying to kill you. And so this book, Inside the Mind, or uh, Secrets of Mental Marksmanship, Secrets of Mental Marksmanship, it's just the most amazing book because they've got this model of performance. You can use this for your kid's soccer team, but for every one of these incredibly crafted aspects of performance psychology. They gave a military example, a law enforcement example, a hunting example, and a competitive shooting example. You got to have written a book to understand. I, I had the honor to write the forward to this latest version of the book. Uh, and you got to have uh, understood what, the, what an amazing thing it is to find four examples in four distinct fields to make all this come alive. It, if you don't think it's the best book you've read in a while, and I wrote the forward to the new edition of the book, and I, I just recently reread it. Amazing book. The other book that I just read was a, uh, the final draft of my book on spiritual combat. It's going to be coming out uh, on, in May. Uh, early e-copies are in the hands of different people. Like Somebody read it just today, and oh boy, just a, an incredible response on spiritual combat. You, you know, in the end, 
hey, you got to recognize there's forces of evil in this world. You can't be a cop without knowing that there's evil. Mm -hmm. And, and if, if you believe in, a, in, in evil, you got to believe in a force for good. And, and uh, you know, there's a reason why the military still has chaplains. The scientific evidence of the four pillars of resiliency, one of the pillars is, is faith. Whatever your faith is, you know, we can leverage that. The book prior to that was uh, Bulletproof Marriage. It just came out a year ago, a 90-day devotional, Bulletproof Marriage. Uh, it's been out just barely a year, got over 100 five-star reviews on Amazon. But the last two books I read, one was the one I'd written forward to, and the other one I just did a, a proofread of uh, of this this last version of the book uh, on spiritual combat. And the one before that is another book that we got coming out. Hopefully, it's called On Hunting. And it's going to be coming out in maybe a year or so. It's still at that stage, On Hunting. And we're really excited about it. It's, Rob, it's going to be the definitive book to hunting. I'm talking about the ecology, the psychology, the physiology, the mind and body response. It'll blow your doors off. Anybody who's even remotely interested in the topic, it'll be the definitive book on hunting. Well, maybe may we'll have to do something to uh, have you back on the podcast to talk about something like that. There's well, a folks. lot of possibilities there. Amen. Well, hey, Dave, where, where can people find more information out about you and your books and such? You know, uh, Killology.com, the scientific study of killing, K-I-L-L-O-L-O-G-Y, Killology.com. It's a term I coined. I put it in my book on killing. I also coined the term combatology. You know, we, we've got sexology. we got suicidology. And the, the scholarly study of killing, not homicide, but lawful killing, with cops and military and armed citizens. That's the book on killing. And so uh, Killology.com, and it's turned out to be, and I've got my my speaking schedule there. I've got my books there, and uh, and I, I generally answer every email that's sent my way. I sometimes get months behind an email. It's like right now I got three books in the pipeline, and uh, but uh, uh, you know if you want to get a hold of me there, I try to answer every email eventually. Mm -hmm. It's a it's a it's a great time to be a warrior trainer, brother. Yep. Amazing times. Well, we definitely appreciate your making time for us today and coming on the podcast and sharing your expertise with us because as much as we talk about mark, uh, marketing, uh, you know, get, getting out there, social marketing and about going along and being aware of your surroundings, different things like that, I also think it's very important for us as instructors to understand the mind and what people go could potentially go through in a life-threatening situation. And you're definitely at the top of the list of experts when it comes to that. Thank you, brother. God bless you. Keep up the great work. Thank you. Well, that's a wrap for this episode. And we have a few requests for our loyal listeners. Like and rate our podcast and check out the other great concealedcarry.com network podcast. Share this episode on Facebook. Encourage others to listen and subscribe. Remind them that if they don't listen to it, they won't hear these great podcasts by Dave and other guests that we've had on over the last year. If you have any ideas, questions, or feedback, please email us at ftp at concealedcarry.com. Visit our sponsors, especially the Firearms Trainers Association at ftaprotect.com and check out their instructor insurance. Being a responsible instructor means having insurance coverage and remember to use promo code FTP10 for 10% off. Remember, we bring you this podcast to support the industry, the Second Amendment, and most importantly, every fire instructor in America that dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. Always be learning and be safe, everyone.
ConcealedCarry Inc. and ConcealedCarry.com strives to share helpful information and education about gun-related topics, training tips, and other things that may potentially have legal implications for its listeners. The information contained in this podcast is intended in good faith, but it is important to understand that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand laws that apply to them. Nothing in this podcast should be misconstrued as legal advice or counsel.